Good evening. <laughs> welcome to Tuesday evening chapel. And welcome to the 36th annual DeLong Sermon Series series of student preachers. Uh, R.V. DeLong was a uh, was a monument in the Church of the Nazarene in terms of evangelism and radio ministry. This series was actually established in honor of his father, who was a pioneer minister in the Church of the Nazarene. Every year, uh, Christian preaching two professors are asked to nominate students to participate in this series. the students submit a manuscript. Those manuscripts are evaluated and out of the evaluation process um, students are selected to participate. There are two students who are going to do that this year. This evening student preacher is Michael Goff. Uh, tomorrow's uh, student preacher is Ryan Emmerich. Let me tell you a little bit about Michael. About Mike. He's married to, to Dawn. They have three children, Haley, Tyler, and Matt, and they're here. I need you guys to wave your hands. Everybody else, welcome them. Uh, Before they made the move to Nazarene Bible College in Colorado Springs, they lived in Burlington, North Carolina. Uh, The kinds of things that kept Mike busy before he made this transition, he says, were various. It's a little vague. You'll have to pump him for the details later. Uh, we asked him to, do, to give a brief statement about his call to Christian ministry. This is what he said. God called me to serve him when I was 15, and I ran until I was 30. After a heart catheterization, God had my full attention one more time. So they made the move. During my time here at NBC, my, my ideas of ministry have expanded. I found that most of what I had been running from was never a part of my call in the first place. Future or present or future ministry plans. Uh, Mike sees himself serving in the area of pastoral counseling involving some type of institutional chaplaincy. And we asked for other comments that will help us know him better. And he's got a little thing, your choice, smiley face. So you're going to have to just pump the guy for details. I mean, I mean, your choice. Oh, my choice. No, you don't want my choice. So um, that is who's going to be preaching the word in a little bit to us. Uh, In addition to this this introduction, I want Mike to come on up. And uh, we have a certificate of recognition and a gift to him. It reads like this. Let me do it this way. The certificate is hereby awarded to Mike Goff in recognition of his participation as a preacher in the DeLong Sermon Series on this fourth day of May, 2010, Nazarene Bible College, Colorado Springs, Colorado. Congratulations. Look forward to your ministry. The sermon series is more than just an exercise. Uh, We intend for it to be 
worship just like any other chapel service. And Mike and Ryan have approached it in that same way. So I want to begin or continue the way that we always do. Let's say our phrase together. We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. Stand and say it with me one more time. We are being transformed into Christ's likeness. We're going to sing a song that you know the rhythm's a little different, but I think you'll catch on. Let's sing. Let's continue to pray. Be exalted above the heavens, above the earth. Be exalted in our hearts. Be exalted in our lives. Be exalted by our words. Be exalted by our very beings. Be exalted. Be exalted. And in the process of our exalting you, we open ourselves to you again. We open ourselves to your word. We open ourselves to your spirit. We open ourselves to, your, to the words that your messenger will say for your sake, for the sake of the kingdom, so that you may be exalted. We pray it in the, in the name of the one whose name is above every name. Pray it in the name of Jesus and all his people said, amen. Good evening. Good evening. Before I begin, I want to take just a moment to thank a few people that made my experience at Nazarene Bible College possible and try not to get choked up doing it. As you all know, we don't get through this on our own. Even if we come on our own, we have a lot of help on the way. So I'd just like to thank my wife and my children for the sacrifices they make so I can stand here in front of you. Thank you. I'd also like to thank the DeLong family for making this sermon series possible through their work and contributions, and I'd like to thank each of my professors who helped make my participation possible. In the past few weeks and months, as I've been finishing my classes here at NBC, I've spent a lot of time thinking about what I've experienced here, about what lies ahead when I leave this place, and I've thought of all the classes that I've had the honor of sitting in, all the great preachers that I've heard right here in this chapel. And, and I can tell you now that it's a pretty humbling experience to stand where so many of the finest men and women of the faith have stood. Though I don't belong in their company, I'm going to do my best to uphold their tradition. And one of the very first messages that I heard in this chapel was the very first fall term I got here, and it was Dr. Harmon Schmelzenbach. And if you've been around the Church of the Nazarene for any time at all, you know about this family that first took the denomination and the gospel message on our behalf to the continent of Africa. As a third generation missionary, Dr. Schmelzenbaum just told great stories about his life and ministry in Africa. It, because he was third generation, he lived there his whole life. Um, he just told us stories that were fantastic colored with lions and hippos and native chiefs with many wives and long, sharp spears. He described cross-cultural ministry that was just full of overwhelming challenges and exciting miracles. He made ministry sound adventurous in an almost Indiana Jones sort of way. You know, 
He, he just encouraged us with story after story after story of how God provided for and protected he and his family and blessed their efforts on his behalf. And I sat right over there and I was just dumbfounded. And still, at that point, I was a little bit in awe even of being here at the Bible College. And, and I thought, cool, if that's ministry, then sign me up. Then I remembered God had not called me to cross-cultural ministry in a foreign land where uncivilized people lived in the jungle and fought wild animals. Now, if God has called you there, go and serve well. The world desperately needs your ministry, and we support you all the way. However, if like me, you've been called to ministry in 21st century America, then tonight's message is for you. It's likely that none of us will spend our days and nights learning an unwritten language and listening for the sound of war drums being carried on the wind. Most of the people that we're likely to meet will look like us, they'll talk like us, they might even dress like us. It, I doubt that if many of them will have spears, maybe a few with drums, and we'll probably never see a lion outside of the zoo or the circus. But God has faced us instead with a different kind of challenge. Now our passage tonight is from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 3. Go ahead and turn there if you like. And Ezekiel lived among the exiles in what we know today as Syria. And I know normally you think of Babylon and you think Iraq. But this particular river, river valley is just a little to the north in, in modern-day Syria. So chapter 1 tells us the hand of God was on Ezekiel. One day as he stood with other exiles there by the Kabar River, he had an amazing vision of God being carried along by four winged creatures, just flying along with four faces each, carrying the throne of the Lord on top of wheels, turning within wheels. It's just one of the most incredible, indescribable visions of the glory of God in all of Scripture. Chapter 2 tells us that God's Spirit filled Ezekiel and lifted him up as the voice of the Lord spoke to him and began to talk to him about his assignment and what his ministry would be. God tells Ezekiel not to be afraid, even though he's sending him among a people that God says are like scorpions. We'll pick the story up there in chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And he said to me, Son of man, eat what is before you. Eat this scroll. Then go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me the scroll to eat. Then he said to me, Son of man, Eat this scroll I'm giving you and fill your stomach with it. So I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He then said to me, Son of man, go now to the house of Israel and speak my words to them. You are not being sent to a people of obscure speech and difficult language, but to the house of Israel, not to many peoples of obscure speech and difficult language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I had sent you to them, they would have listened to you. But the house of Israel is not willing to listen to you, because they're not willing to listen to me. For the whole house of Israel is hardened and obstinate. But I will make you as unyielding and hardened as they are. I'll make your forehead like the hardest stone, harder than flint. Do not be afraid of them or terrified by them though they are a rebellious house. And he said to me, Son of man, listen carefully, and take to heart all the words I speak to you. 
Go now to your countrymen in exile and speak to them. Say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, whether they listen or fail to listen. The word of the Lord. Now, Ezekiel was not called to go to a foreign people and tell them about a God that they'd never heard of. He faced a different kind of challenge. God tells the prophet that if he was to be called to such a task, then certainly the people would listen and turn from their ways. But instead, the Lord gave Ezekiel what he considered to be a more difficult task. Ezekiel is sent to speak on the Lord's behalf to his own countrymen, fellow Israelites that know about God but aren't following his teachings. At this time, Jerusalem had been besieged by King Nebuchadnezzar's men. All of the leaders of the day had been either executed or carried off to foreign lands like Ezekiel had. Eventually, the temple itself would be destroyed and all of its artifacts plundered and carried off to Babylon. And Ezekiel is in a foreign land, but he's only about 500 miles from his home. And he's among his own people. In fact, he's in the area where his ancestors, Terah and Abram, had left a few generations before when the Lord asked them to set out from their homeland. Many of us tonight are farther from our own homes here in Colorado Springs than Ezekiel was in Babylon. And the first thing we see in our passage that God tells Ezekiel to do is to put God's words in his own mouth so that he can speak to the people for God. He's told to eat the scroll and let it fill his stomach. Notice Ezekiel is not told to read the scroll, analyze the scroll, study over the scroll, break it into its composite pieces. He's told in a very vivid way how to take the word in. He's to digest the message that God has for his people so that he knows it thoroughly until it becomes a very part of him. Then he's told to go to his own people, the church of his day, if you will. God tells Ezekiel that the people are rebellious and that they'll not listen to Ezekiel because they're rejecting God's word, not his messenger. And to equip his servant for the task at hand, God promises to give him determination to become even more stubborn and thick-skinned than those he's going to serve. In fact, God says he'll make Ezekiel's head harder than a rock. Now, we all know a pastor or two like that, don't we? <laughs> Some of us are one. Right? Okay. Now, Ezekiel's then told not to be af afraid or terrified. And I find it so interesting that Jonah is sent to prophesy against the most powerful city of his day, Nineveh. But the Bible doesn't mention anything about his being afraid to go there. He runs from God, but he doesn't appear to be afraid of Nineveh. He's sent to speak out against a city-state that's known for its atrocities against its enemies over the whole world. And just let me kind of fill you in on that because I want you to see that God didn't feel the need to tell Jonah not to fear these people. But the Ninevites, the Ninevites would take their enemies and capture them and take them up high on the walls that fortified their city. And then they would take these trees 30, 40 feet tall, strip all the branches off the outside of them, sharpen the top to a nice point. Then they'd take those same enemies and hurl them down on those spikes until they were impaled. And they leave their bodies there as a warning to anybody else that might decide to come against the great city. But God doesn't reassure Jonah. Yet when he sends Ezekiel to his own people, he tells him not to fear. In a similar way, Isaiah is told not to fear as his own people fear, but to fear God alone. 
And the final instruction in our passage tonight that God gives to Ezekiel is that he is to proclaim what the Lord says to the people. God tells the prophet, take the words in, consider them carefully, and then speak the truth. It won't be up to Ezekiel whether the people respond or don't respond or even whether they listen. It will simply be up to him to be obedient in declaring the Lord's word. I think we can take a lot away from this passage. See, like Ezekiel, God has called us to speak to our own people in our own native language. To this point, not many of us God has called to go to a foreign place, learn new cultures, and teach people about a God that they've never heard of. He's called us to a different kind of challenge. The Barna Group tells us that 85% of all non-churched adults have spent a prolonged amount of time attending a religious center or a church or a synagogue of some type. Barna goes on to describe how the ministry environment that we'll be entering is very different from that of Calvin or Luther or Wesley. It doesn't even really resemble that that Billy Graham entered just 50 years ago. The problem in our culture is not that people have never heard of God. It's that they know about Him, but they still don't know Him. We too are being sent among a rebellious people that have known about God, but are not following His ways. Like Ezekiel, we may be called upon to find new methods because the old ways are no longer relevant. See, three points in a conclusion hold little magic for a single mother with three kids and a past due mortgage. But Ezekiel was forced to function in an environment that was very different from what he'd been taught by the priests that came before him. Now, one can just imagine, when Ezekiel went to Bible college, he took classes on preparing the altar, burning the incense, cleaning the bronze fixtures, making sacrifices at the altar. I mean, he probably spent an entire year in a cohort just learning how to sacrifice the animals properly. You know, you, you can see that, that with great passion and enthusiasm, his professors told Ezekiel and the others how to catch hold of the animals and how to hold them just right, where to place the knife, and how to draw it across their neck so the blood spilled on the ground and not on the priestly garments. And I'm sure that they offered him plenty of advice on the pieces that he was to offer into the fire, and probably even some good recipes for the choice pieces that were offered to the priest. But now Ezekiel is facing a different kind of challenge. He's called by God to function in an entirely different environment. Within a few short years, the traditional church of Ezekiel's day was no more. Rather than slaughter animals, Ezekiel was now forced to live among people whose very families had been slaughtered. He was asked to act out the suffering of his people and call them back to the Lord who never changes, even when everything else does. Ezekiel had to find ways to connect with people that knew about God, but had given up on following his ways. He had to live among people who more than any other time felt like God had given up on them. People who felt abandoned and saw little hope in their present circumstances. People just like the ones that you and I encounter every single day. Now, after spending countless hours preparing to serve in a temple where all good Jews came to worship, Ezekiel now had to find ways to proclaim God's message out among the people. He began his ministry in his very own home. Then he moved out into the streets and the fields where the people lived and worked and ran and played. He soon found that most of his priestly training had little, little relevance to the environment in which he served. Now, although his instructors had tried to offer him the best advice from their own ministries with the very purest of intentions, 
the world had simply changed from that in which they ministered. He now faced a different kind of challenge. If we're to be effective in our own ministries, then I think we can draw inspiration from Ezekiel. We too face a different kind of challenge. We too learn to must le learn to rely on listening to God to find new and creative ways of reaching people that no longer come to the temple. In his book, Church Next, Quantum Changes and How We Do Ministry, Eddie Gibbs writes, Churches cannot stand apart from society and invite people to come to them on their terms. Rather, churches must go to the people where they are and communicate in terms that will make sense to them, addressing the issues that shape their lives and speaking their language. The church in the postmodern era must be prepared to witness with vulnerability and humility from the margins of society, much as it did in the first two centuries of its existence. Looking further at the research, Gibbs tells us that if current trends continue, 60% of all American congregations will no longer exist by the year 2050. Let me say that for you again. If current trends continue, 60% of the churches in America will not exist by the year 2050. More and more congregations will find that they're not economically viable. They'll be forced to close and consolidate. We'll be forced to radically restructure our models of ministry. And in case you haven't done the math yet, that's not the faraway future. That's the next 40 years. That's the time in which you and I have been called to minister. But all is not doom and gloom. The God that had a plan for Ezekiel when things looked hopeless is still in control today. His message of hope and freedom and redemption is still the only real truth out there. God called you and me, and he knows all the different kinds of challenges ahead. And last time I talked to him, he was still planning on using us to bring his children home. Amen. Now, it's not a matter of whether we'll do ministry. It's simply a matter of rethinking where we'll do ministry, how we'll do ministry. It's a matter of rising to a different kind of challenge. For some of us, that will mean we won't work full-time in a church. We may have to have jobs that provide us with benefits and support beyond what a struggling congregation can afford to offer. If this is your call, then I challenge you not to see that as a bad thing. I'd rather you see it as an opportunity to live among the people that you're trying to reach. There are certain benefits to not being dependent on the church that we serve for all of our support. The Apostle Paul chose this method of ministry so that he could be free to preach as the Spirit directed him without anybody second-guessing what his motives were. Amen. For others of us, it may mean that although we do serve as full-time clergy, we may serve as counselors or chaplains in other institutions instead of serving in traditional parish ministry. This type of ministry is just another way that we can go and be where the people are. Be part of a sent church rather than a sending church. The days of unlocking the doors on Sunday morning and waiting for the people show up are drawing quickly to a close. Now I have no doubt that the institution of the church will survive until Christ comes to take his bride. Make no mistake, the church will go on. But I challenge you tonight to embrace the mission of the church instead of the form that it takes. Our mission and our message are unchanging, even as our methods and our environment are in constant flux.
God is once again sending us to our own people. Now if we take anything from the lesson of Ezekiel at all, we should understand that God is not sending us alone and we do not need to fear. We are to learn God's Word, take it in, digest it, make it a part of us. People need to see our lives as different from the rest of the world around them. When we have the chance to talk to them about God, we should take that chance every time. God's Word never returns void. But I believe God is challenging each of us tonight to live our lives in such a way that people will see His Word at work in in our lives whether they ever get to hear us talk about Him or not. Perhaps one day if we follow Ezekiel and do what he did and stay faithful to God in doing ministry in new and unfamiliar ways, then God may choose to show us His plans for the new church in our time just like he showed Ezekiel the new temple that would be built by the people that he was serving. If we stay focused on our call and faithful to our God, then maybe one day we'll be used to bring new life to the dry bones of churches all over our land. If we're obedient to what God asks us to do, and if we say what he tells us to say, then maybe we too will be privileged to see the glory of God in indescribable ways. As we prepare to enter ministry, we indeed face a different kind of challenge. When we leave school, we'll be entering the fields of previously churched people who have chosen exile, chosen exile, over the traditional ways that we have chosen to do ministry. And we have to ask ourselves, what hinders us from reaching them? We know the language. We understand the culture. Can we see the needs? Can we answer their questions? Can we tolerate their stubbornness? Do we need them to do things our way so that we can feel successful? Or can we rise to a different kind of challenge? The passage that I'm about to read is said to have been carved in the door of a martyred African pastor. This pastor was not a cross-cultural ministry. He was simply a national pastor sent to speak God's word to his own people. People who were rebellious to God and didn't want to hear his message. People like many of the ones that we're likely to minister to in our own ministries. I believe that this pastor had an attitude like Ezekiel, and this is what he wrote. I am a part of the fellowship of the unashamed. The die has been cast, the decision has been made, I've stepped over the line. I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed, my present makes sense, and my future is secure. I am finished and done with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarfed goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, or rewarded. I now live by faith, lean on his presence, love with patience, live by prayer, and labor with power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way is rough. My companions are few. My guide is reliable, and my mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded, or delayed. 
I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and spoken up for the cause of Jesus Christ. I am a disciple of His. I must go until He comes, give until I drop, preach until all know, and work until He stops me. And when He comes for His own, He'll have no problem recognizing me, for my banner is clear. So I ask you tonight, is your banner clear? In a moment, we're going to pray. But before we do, I'd like to ask every person in this room, whether this is your first trimester here, or whether you've been in ministry for 40 years, to ask God if the path of ministry that you're traveling is still the road to reaching His people. Will you continue to do ministry in comfortable and familiar ways regardless of effectiveness? Have you let go of traditions and expectations that will hinder your ability to minister to a changing world? Is your commitment to serving God flexible enough to change with the world around you? Will you continue to preach the gospel even if you don't have a pulpit from which to preach? Will you, like Ezekiel, rise to meet a different kind of challenge? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your call on our lives. We're humbled by the fact that you choose to use us to help do your work. We ask for your continued guidance in finding ways to reach those you've put in our lives. Give us strength to be obedient to your leading, Lord, even when we don't know where you're taking us. Lord, help us to remember that the ministry is yours, the message is yours, the people are yours, the results are yours, and above all, the glory is yours and yours alone. Go with us as we leave this place and leave us, help us, excuse me, go with us as we leave this place and help us to love one another in the same way that you've loved us. We ask this prayer in the name of the one who called us by name, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Before we go, I, I just need you to bow your heads. I'm going to, us to continue in prayer. to do your will. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. We're dismissed.